Good morning. I want to invite everyone to stand and worship with us. great things he's done in your life today. than the 
light of the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle work, promise keeper. Two weeks ago, we began a series on end times prophecy, eschatology, um, called The End. And I know that when it comes to eschatology or the study of end times, there are people uh, that are just kind of on different, a couple different camps. Some of them see it as literal. That's where I'm at. I believe there's some literal things that are going to take place in the future. Uh, the reason I believe that they're literal is because God made promises to Israel uh, that have not yet been fulfilled. And God is in the habit of keeping his promises. He keeps his word. And so I believe there are some things that have not yet been fulfilled that will happen um, in the future. And so that puts one group in the literal camp, and then there's some that think it's symbolic or it's just figurative. Um, and, and so they just look at all these eschatology passages and they say, no, it's just symbolic. And um, my concern is if that's the, uh, where we're going to stay at is, is I would rather be literal, look at the scriptures literally and see uh, the warnings that are given to us, not only in the Gospels, but in the Old Testament prophets as well, um, that point to the coming uh, tribulation, which we'll look at today. And I'd rather take that literally and be prepared than to think it's symbolic and to, to miss and not be ready. Amen? So if you're ready, can we go into um, God's word today? Excellent. Well, you're a little bit more awake than the first crowd. I appreciate that. So uh, let me just give you like a recap quickly. We, we, we talked in the first week about are we there yet? Uh, when you look at the signs of the times, just turn on your TV, open a newspaper, if you read that anymore, look at Facebook, and you see um, all around us, there are just things that are going on that make us question, are we there yet? Are we towards the end of, of time? And, and so, you know, Jesus answers that question with his disciples, and he says, you know, they ask him, when will this happen? That is the destruction of the temple, which did happen in A.D. 70. And then he says, what will be the signs of your return? When are you coming again? What will be the signs of the end of the age? And then Jesus begins to lay out all these different signs. When you see these, the end is near. This is like birth pains. It, the, the labor is close, and, and they intensify the closer they get together. And so Jesus told them that they were close to the end. The, the end is, is near. Um, and so what we talked about in week number one was more important than asking the question, are we there yet, is are we even ready to be there? Are we prepared to be toward the end? Now, last week I talked about another one of those subjects that uh, I have a lot of hope in, and that is the tribulation, or excuse me, the rapture of the church, the fact that Jesus is going to return for his bride and rapture the church out, and I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians says that God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to receive salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news, right? Uh, and so we talked about rapture last week, and so the question then becomes, as I talk about tribulation today, why even talk about it? Why not just ignore that part? I mean, because it's kind of a downer. I'm just a, a, a newsflash for you. This is kind of heavy, um, the text that we look at today, and so just hear my heart as I share with you, and as the gospel writers share, and the prophets share, and take it for what it's meant. It is meant to be a warning, um, and, and so as we approach that today, just understand uh, there's, a, there's a reason that we should look into these passages of Scripture while we're tempted to just kind of bypass them because, hey, if we're not here anyways, let's just skip that. If we do that, we might as well take the book of Revelation and tear it out of the Bible because that's all that talks about. So I believe that we need to look into it today, and I think the main reason why is, is because of uh, treat it like a warning. Now, warnings are not bad. Warnings can be good, Right? So yesterday I was riding my motorcycle and I got it nice and hot and then I pulled up to the front of my house, which normally I park in my shop, but my grandson and my family were all there visiting and uh, I pulled up into the front yard and of course Wes hears the, the motorcycle and wants to come out and see dude on his bike and so he comes out and I immediately jump off the bike and, and put my hands up and say, whoa, whoa, don't come any closer. Why? Because I know the exhaust pipes on a motorcycle are extremely hot and I didn't want him to get his first tattoo um, at the, you know, from my motorcycle. Um, and so because I love him, I want to spare him the pain. And, and I bet every one of you in there can, can kind of re relate to that. If you have kids and you, you've seen the hot stove or they're running towards a busy street and you just love them and because you love them, you don't want to see them go through any unnecessary pain. So you warn them. I mean, a warnings can be good. 
Thank you. All right, you were doing good, and then uh, you just dropped off. Well, I don't know what happened, so let's do this. Let's read the scripture. We'll pray, and then we'll go forward. Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 22. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. We'll look at that in a moment. Verse 16, then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of the roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge that this is your word. Inspired, you said, so shall your word be that goes forth, that it will not return into your void. It will go and it will accomplish what it's set to do. And so I pray that as we share your word today, as we preach on, on a topic that many of us probably just want to skip over Lord, that you would open our eyes. Lord, let us see your heart behind sharing these with us. And I would say thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to give us these warning passages. Lord, would you please um, speak to us today through your word. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have this Olivet Discourse. Jesus is teaching the disciples about the end times. And in it, he covers this thing that we call tribulation. Now, we believe the tribulation comes after the rapture of the church. Some people believe the church will go through part of the tribulation. Some believe that the church will go all the way through uh, the tribulation. If that's the way you want to do it, fine. I'm going to, you know, Gabriel's going to toot, and I'm going to scoot. I'm good with a pre. Um, in fact, I shared with the second service last week that, I, like my buddy, I am so pre-tribulation that I don't even want to eat post-toasties anymore, right? I believe that Jesus is going to return for his church, and, and with this time of tribulation uh, that is coming, we believe is literal, um, and so I would begin by just saying, what is it? And I'm going to go back to Jesus' words, and not only Jesus, but Daniel and also the prophet Joel make these references. And so I want you to hear um, a common theme here in these three verses. Jesus said in verse 21 of chapter 24, For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, Daniel says, Then there will be a time of anguish, greater than any since nations first came into existence. Joel chapter 2 verse 1 says, Sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. Raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. It is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Suddenly, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a great and mighty army appears. Nothing like it has been seen before or will ever be seen again. Do you see that common phrase there? It's going to be greater anguish than anything this world has ever seen before or ever will see again. So that's the first thing that we need to know. It's a serious time. Um, I used to believe that the first part of the tribulation is not that bad. You know what? If we have to go through the first half, it's not too bad. It gets really bad halfway through it, and after studying the passages of Scripture, I don't even want to go through the first 21 months, and I'll explain that in a moment why. So we see from Ezekiel, from Isaiah, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, these, these gospel writers from Second Thessalonians and from the book of Revelation, um, all of the symbolism there, all the, the descriptions as to what um, the, the Bible says is coming in the future, a time of judgment on the earth. Now, before you realize, I mean, why would God do that? Just open your eyes and see the wickedness that is all around us. And you just have to believe that because God is a righteous judge, there is a time of judgment coming, and it is deserving. The, the world is so wicked that God's just got to deal with it. So there's this future time of judgment that is coming, and it is spoken of in many different passages of scriptures, I believe, as a warning. And so a tribulation is a seven-year period. Now, why do we say seven years? Well, turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is where this passage comes from. Daniel receives this vision from the Lord, and, and you might have to hang in there and just kind of use your mathematic brain for a second, uh, but it's called 70 weeks, Daniel 70 weeks. And so it's in chapter 9 and verse 24. He says, a period of 
70 sets of seven, or 70 weeks, or if you want to do that in years, 490 years. So a period of 490 years or 70 weeks has been decreed for your people. What people? The Israelites, the Jews, Daniel's people. A period has been set or decreed for the Israelites and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place or the most holy one. Jesus came. Verse 25, now listen and understand, he tells Daniel. Seven sets of seven, so seven weeks or seven sets, seven times seven is what? I hope it all said 49. It sounded pretty mumbled out here. I can, I can sense the confidence, right? Your calculator's in your pockets. So seven sets of seven, that's 49 years, plus 62 sets of seven. I'll help you with that. It's 434 years. So he says seven sets of seven, uh, that is uh, one week and then 62 weeks, will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. And so in 444 uh, B.C., Artaxerxes gave one of four decrees, it was the last decree, to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem. And so Daniel's uh, been told that from that point forward, there would be 69 weeks until that comes. He says, uh, uh, Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous Times. Now it says, after this period of 62 sets of seven, so combined, we're talking about after 483 years, there's 490 that have been decreed, uh, that's seven. There are 70 weeks that have been decreed, only 69 of them up to this point have been used, so how much is left? All right, you're doing really good, church, really, really you are. So one week, there's seven years left, and so this is where the tribulation comes from. There's seven years of tribulation that is future um, and, and going back to that passage, it says, after this, the period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. We know that Jesus came. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. It says, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And the ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries um, are decreed from that time to the very end. Verse 27, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of Seven. There it is. For one week, for seven years. He will make this treaty, but about after, or about, it says, but after half this time, so three and a half years into it, it says he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration, or the abomination that causes desecration, until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. So we believe that there is a time coming in the future, a seven-year uh, year of tri tribulation, of wrath, of God pouring his wrath out on the earth. And that doesn't sound like a very good um, encouraging message, but it is a warning that it is coming. Many prophets um, prophesied that. The gospel writers prophesied that. Paul did, Second Thessalonians. So we know that there's this time coming in the future of great calamity that Jesus says that has never been in the world and never will be again. And so it begins with a treaty. Now, I don't know if you're paying attention. A couple of days ago, there was news that, you know, Trump negotiated with uh, Israel and Israel with the United Arab Emirates, I believe, a, a peace deal. When I hear that, I start going, whoa, stop the truck, turn the radio up. I'm looking for key things. And I was listening for a number. Do you want to guess what that number was? Seven, I'm listening for him to say, oh yeah, it's a seven-year deal because I'm like, oh, whoa, that's prophetic. It's what scriptures talks about in Daniel 9, so um, I'm listening to that. That's not it. I believe it is coming, uh, but anytime you hear Israel, Israel's been wanting peace for so many years, and they're longing for peace. They want peace, and what it says is um, a time when the, the, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene, he's going to negotiate this, this peace treaty for seven years, but halfway through it, He's going to kind of renege on that. They're going, to, they're going to have sacrifices going again in the tabernacle. Um, they're going to build a new one. They're going to sacrifice. And he's going to put a stop to sacrifices. And then he's actually going to set himself up as God demanding worship of himself. And this is where in Revelation you read about the mark of the beast and having to make the choice to choose God or to choose the Antichrist. And so it gets really, really gnarly. Now, I know how you are because I know how I am. And I know sometimes we can read this and think, okay, yeah, yeah, it's, it's bad, but it's future. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me because it's, you know, it's, it's future. 
And so I was just kind of playing around with numbers in my office this week, and I thought, what if, I just went back and just to give us kind of a, some perspective. So I went back to 1950, and, you know, just did a little research. How many wars has this world experienced in 70 years, since 1950? The answer to that is 400 wars, 400 in 70 years. And as a result of those 400 wars, there were 21, this is a conservative number, 21 million deaths. And that's pretty intense, isn't it? 21 million people dead because of these wars, 400 wars. And that, it doesn't seem that bad because it's spread out over 70 years. So what if we could take those numbers, just what we've experienced in 70 years, and we could put all of those statistics in a smaller block of time, let's say 10% of that 70 years, seven years. And how many of you know that in, in, in the midst of seven years, I mean, I remember seven years ago pretty clearly, so if we would experience 400 wars and 21 million deaths in seven years, how many know that's pretty intense? Right? We, we got bad and we got badder, you know, or more bad. Well, well, just to give you an idea of what happens in the first part of the tribulation, like I said, I don't even want to talk about the last part. I won't go into too much depth, but just the first 21 months, there are three sets of judgments. There's the judgment of the seals, uh, not the er, er, seals, but seals that are broken on paper. I mean, as these seals are broken, some, some things happen. And so the fourth seal, um, or let me, let me come back to that. So the second set of judgments is the trumpet judgments. And the third set of judgment is the bowls, you know, bowls of God's wrath. And so this is kind of the whole book of Revelation. So back to the first 21 months or the first seven seals of God's judgment, the fourth seal that's broken, it says, and I saw this horse, and he was, he was, it was a pale green horse. And the rider on him was called death and he was accompanied by the grave and authority was given to them to basically kill one-fourth of the population in the first 21 months of the tribulation and so I'm doing my math thing I thought okay how many people are on the globe today 7.6 billion people a lot of people right and if you just do that math a quarter of that is 1.9 billion people now how many know if 21 million people dying in a seven-year stretch is pretty bad that 1.9 billion people in the first 21 months is horrific. And so I share that with you because I want you to get perspective. I want you to see the seriousness of what the great tribulation is all about. And, and I think God loves us enough that he gave us ample warning because he doesn't want us to experience that. He doesn't want us to walk through that. As a church, we are saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah for the gospel. And whoever places their faith in him, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has not appointed us under wrath, but to receive salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And after the church is removed, can I just say it? All hell breaks loose on the earth. This is tribulation. And as I said, I haven't even touched all of the tribulation, just the first 21 months. Um, if you want to be here for that, uh, more power to you. It's a pretty serious time. So, as Jesus said, greater anguish than has ever been and ever will be um, in the future. So when will it happen? What's holding it back? Second Thessalonians, I had you turn there as well. Hopefully you're still following me. You know, when you get to talking about eschatology, you can get so detailed that you just lose people. I hope I don't lose you today. I hope that you hear kind of the, the big picture because some people like that, man, just give me details. But most people just, they just need to understand what's the big, big idea. And so hopefully you get that today as we just kind of talk about what it is, when it will happen, what's holding it back, what's to keep this time of judgment to coming um, today. I believe the very next thing to happen on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. And I say, even so, Lord, come quickly. The rapture of the church, and at that moment, I believe is when all this stuff happens. So look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, the day of the Lord, this time of great judgment, will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. Now, first, let's just stop there a minute. I always hoped there would be this huge revival, you know, right at the very end before Christ returns. Um, Paul tells us here that there's going to be a great rebellion against God. There's going to be many, many people that are going to rebel against him. He says that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. 
It says, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. This is the Antichrist. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. There's a direct uh, link back to Daniel chapter 9. In verse 5, it says, don't you remember that I told you about this when I was with you, and you know what is holding him back. So the, the whole Antichrist kicks off this time of tribulation. What's holding him back? He says, for he can only be revealed when his time comes, for this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. The one that holds it back, that, that the, the word is restrain, it means to, to lessen the intensity of or to keep within a certain limits. It, it's a picture of physically holding something down. He said there's something that's holding all of this back, like a dam, you know, in a big water that's going to burst through it. There's something that is just kind of resisting and holding it back, restraining. And he says that this man of lawlessness will not be revealed until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. What is it referring to? We believe this is the church. We believe this is the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you get saved, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives in you? That's good news, right? And so do you know what the Holy Spirit does? What one of his roles is, is to convict the world of sin. There, there's something in us that just there's a moral do's and don'ts. It's just something that keeps me from stepping across that line. It's the conviction of the restraining of the Holy Spirit. And you take the Holy Spirit out, and in one moment, a large number of people have been raptured out of the way. The Holy Spirit, the restraining force, is removed. Then at that moment, can you just imagine the anarchy and the chaos that the world is going to experience? It's going to be chaos. There's no restraint. Murder just because I like your truck better than my truck. You know, I'm going to take it. It's mine. I mean, just, there's no restraining force any longer. We believe that the, the church, the Holy Spirit, is what restrains that from happening now. And so when Jesus returns for his church, raptures the church out of the way, everything's going to get really, really crazy, and somebody is going to need to step onto the scene and say, hey, I've got the answers. This is the Antichrist. He's going to step on the scene. He's going to win the favor of people. And he's going to finally negotiate that peace deal that Israel has been waiting for for so long. And he's going to negotiate a seven-year peace treaty. And what's holding him back right now, I believe, is the church. So to answer the question, when will it happen? I believe it will happen shortly after the rapture. I don't know exactly when, but I believe it will be shortly after that. And so you have this seven years of judgment on the earth. It begins with the Antichrist in the middle way. There's the breaking of the covenant, and it gets really, really bad from that point forward. How does it end? I don't want to go too much into that because I'm going to cover that in a couple of weeks as we talk about the return of Christ, but there's this big battle. There's a big battle in Revelation 16, 16. is the first time the word's used. The only time the word is used, Armageddon. We call it the battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19, 19 through 21 gives us a description of it. It says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse. This is talking about Jesus and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. This is how it all comes to the end, this huge showdown, this huge battle. They're actually going to come against the Lord, and they will be greatly defeated, and this will usher in what I believe is a literal millennial reign of Christ. A thousand years, Jesus sitting on a literal throne, fulfilling that Davidic prophecy, fulfilling the prophecies of the land that was promised to the Israelites. I believe that will be uh, realized in the time of the millennial. And so that's the tribulation. And I think I've demonstrated to you that it's not something to be toyed with. It's not something to be played around with. And so <clears throat> what would be the so what? So what, Shane? What's the big deal of this? Here's the so what. The same thing that Jesus said in the parable after, uh, at the end of the Olivet Discourse, as he talked about the, the parable of the ten bridesmaid, bridesmaids, and he finishes it out, says, so you too must be ready, or you must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my Return. If there's an application at all today, church, it's this. 
Be prepared. Say be prepared. I miss, and how do we do that? We are ready, we are prepared when we obey the gospel. How do we obey the gospel? We trust in the gospel. It's not just saying, hey, I, 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 you know, I've heard stories about Jesus. I, I believe he was a real person, but it means to rely on, it means to put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And so that is to obey the gospel. And here's why I say this, because I believe that if the, the, the rapture were to happen today, that there will be many people who have been in church that will go through tribulation. Shane, why would you say something like that? Because what saves us is not a head knowledge, but it is, a, it is submitting to the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. There's some people that are still trying to get there by doing the good works. And how many know that will never get us there? That there are many people that will attend church and they know about him, but they don't know him. And, and these are those that will go through a time of great anguish and tribulation. And I just love people enough that I don't want to see that. And I see these warning passages, and I see the love of our Father that loves us enough that he doesn't want to see us go through that, so he warns us. Warnings are good. Amen? And so can we be saved during a time of tribulation? Well, the, the resisting force or the, 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 the restraining force of the Holy Spirit has moved out of the way, but I do believe the Holy Spirit will still be active during that time. People will, because of the witnesses, they will turn to him, but it's going to cost them because they're going to have to make a choice between the Antichrist or between God and they're going to have to receive a mark of the beast. I mean, all this stuff is there. It's just like, it blows your mind. And, and it's going to cost us greatly. And I think that, you know, sometimes we think about, well, I, I don't want to get, give my life to Christ today because I'm, I might have friends that will walk away from me. Really? I, I've met people before who their whole families have abandoned them because they came to Christ. Can I just tell you that is uh, insignificant compared to what is awaiting those that might make that declaration of faith during a time of tribulation because it will cost them their very their very life. And so the, 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 the application is this, be ready, and today is the day of salvation. Today is the day, and aren't we, we should be like giddy that God loves us enough that he gives us a way of salvation, a way of escape in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, look, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news, isn't it? Is that while we were still in the middle of our sin, Christ died for us. That's good news. He is no respecter of persons, so he loves you as much as he loves me, as much as he loves David or any of the apostles and the prophets that we speak of. God is no respecter of persons, and so this invitation is for all of us, and today is the acceptable day of salvation. Why? Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. James says life is a vapor. It's a puff of smoke. It's here one moment and gone the next, and so I would say don't waste your life. Don't gamble on eternity. These warning passages are there for us. And I, and I almost want to say not to scare us, but yeah, I hope it does. I mean, it does. It, it, it puts a fear in me to say, you know what? I don't want to um, have to encounter the wrath of, of God. And because I've placed my faith in him, he took my sins and placed them on Christ, and they've already been dealt with. And there's therefore now, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not appointed us unto wrath but to receive salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. So today is the day of salvation. If you've been playing around with that, you've not taken that step yet, that, that is it. That's it. That's the most important thing you can do. Second to that, I'd say it should put a sense of urgency in each one of us to say, you know, I've got friends and loved ones and family members that I don't know if they're in a right relationship with God, and I don't want to see them go through this. And so I'm going to continue praying for them. I'm going to continue asking God for an open door, and I want them to hear the same gospel that I responded to um, and to be saved like I am saved so they can have that same hope, that blessed hope that I hold on to today. And lastly, I would say this. What kind of attitudes should we have if we knew that we deserved hell and all this judgment, but yet God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son? to die on the cross in our place that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How then should we respond to that? Should it not put a little bit of a smile on your face? Put it, should it not give you like a, just this attitude of gratitude? God, I am so, so grateful that you made a way. Jesus says, I am the way, not one of many ways, but I am the way, the truth and the life. God, thank you for that. Amen? Adoration, praise, joy, peace I'm thankful that he loves us enough 
that he was willing to give us these warning passages so that we would respond to them. And so the question is, how do you respond to that? And I'll leave that between you and God. I'm going to pray and dismiss. I'm going to have David come back up and close us out. So would you bow your heads um, and pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your warning that you love us enough. Lord, that you over and over and over through the prophets in the Old Testament, through the poetic books, in the gospels, and even in the epistles, over and over again, you give us these, these warnings of a time that's coming. Lord, and honestly, when I look at what's going on around the world, I, I say it is, it is absolutely warranted. There's a lot of wickedness. And Lord, you're, you're a righteous judge. That means you're not going to wink at sin. You're not going to ignore it. You're going to deal with it. But Father, I thank you that you made a way of salvation, a way of escape for each one of us. And Lord, it's not about how much works you can do. It's not about religion, it is about a relationship, trusting in you for our salvation, that you took our sins and died on the cross in our place. My prayer is that today, everyone in this room has already taken that step. Lord, if not, I pray that today would be the day that your Holy Spirit would just knock on their door, the door of their heart, with this truth, and they would respond, oh Lord, in kind. Pray that it also give us a sense of urgency with the people around us, that we would recognize how short Uh, life is on this earth and that we would be um, attentive to what you might open in front of us a door a conversation Lord that our prayers would be more focused Lord and those loved ones that uh, we care so much about we want to warn them as well Lord, would you please just give us a sense of urgency and Lord would you also increase in us an attitude of gratitude would you please give us uh, Lord a heart uh, that that approaches you uh, in worship and heartfelt worship, not just in rote, Lord, it's because it's something that we do, but Lord, just with hearts that are absolutely grateful for a God that is worthy, Lord, that does exceeding and abundantly more than we think or ask. Father, to you be all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. Would you please, Lord, let us not dismiss this today from our hearts and our heads, but let us meditate on it and um, respond Uh, Lord, however you want us to respond today, I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.